Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 170 of the podcast for April 2nd, 2013. My guest today is Stephen Perry, who's joining us via Skype from England. Stephen's going to be a keynote speaker at the upcoming Lean Kanban North America conference in late April, and I'm also going to be a main stage speaker at that event. Um, Stephen has experience leading lean transformation efforts in industries ranging from telecommunications, IT, shared services, financial services, and the public sector. He's the author of the book titled Sense and Respond, The Journey to Customer Purpose. In this episode, we talk about his experiences, how Lean engages employees to provide value to customers, and some of the differences between what he calls Lino, or Lean and Name Only, and Real Lean efforts. So you can find links to Stephen, his book, the conference, by going to leanblog.org slash 170. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. It's uh, lovely to talk to you and a great honor. Well, can you start by introducing yourself and, and some of your professional background and, and personal background for the listeners? Uh, yes, um, my name is Stephen Parry. Um, I started in Lean probably in the early 1990s um, when I was working with Hitachi. I was um, in manufacturing at the time. My role there was to design electronic test equipment for t uh, testing television sub-assemblies. It was in that environment that I learned quite um, intuitively and just, just being in a Japanese environment, um, what we had were quality circles at, at that time. But Everything was really aimed at the employee and the quality of the product and designing around the needs of the employee to, to produce quality. Um, and it wasn't until I left that that I went to Ford Motor Company um, working on um, computerized systems at Ford. Did I realize how lucky I was at um, uh, at Hitachi? I then started to understand the difference between mass production and what was a lean environment that I was coming from. After that, I moved to Digital Equipment Corporation, um, again working in IT on very large computer systems, mission-critical systems, and I was lucky enough to be drawn into a very large program that digi Digital were running at that time, which is looking at the business of the future, how we design, build, and operate those businesses, what the principles should be. And for the very first time, I was able to apply a lot of my systems knowledge, my lean knowledge, the Japanese methods. And at this time, I'd also contacted Dan Jones and I was heavily influenced there. And I was able to apply a lot of those ideas um, into the design of the business of the future for Digital Equipment Corporation. But like the all the best stories, um, this one didn't have uh, a fairy tale ending. It came later. For digital, they were taken over, mm -hmm. um, so the big change came a little, um, not enough and too late. Um, but what it armed me with was a lot of principles of how to design, build, and operate organizations. I then moved from there to Staples, um, where I was head of operations for, uh, for setting up the, the catalog business in the UK for Staples and helping expand the superstore network across Europe. And then again, I was able to apply a lot of the principles. 
from there, I went to Fujitsu. Um, Fujitsu, this is about 1999 now. Fujitsu wanted to get into the outsourcing business. Um, they were previously building things like servers and computers, but they wanted to get out of the product business and get into the service business and multi-vendor and outsourcing. So I was brought in to, to set that up based on my previous experience. And it was at that point I was really developing a lot of the ideas which are now known as Sense Respond, which is an adaptive lean organization in services and in IT. And that model was spread from the UK um, into Europe and into Asia Pacific where I was head of um, strategy and change for the Fujitsu Group. And we created a major differentiator in the outsourcing business. And 10 years after that, it's still a major differentiator for Fujitsu. Um, after that, I then decided to go out and say, well, we need to apply these ideas and these methods to all sorts of organizations, not just IT. And I then started to do some work with um, some book companies in transforming how books were produced, um, also how customer services were done in a lot of the mobile operations. Um, and I ended up working with the likes of SAP, Coca-Cola, BT, and, and the list goes on. So, I mean, it sounds like you've got you know, quite a broad set of experiences with North American-based companies, Japanese companies, different industries. But mm -hmm. would you say the one common theme with a lot of your work is is lean, with a lot of influence from Dr. Deming's philosophy? Is that, I mean, would you, you – and, and we'll talk a little bit about your book, Sense and Respond. But do you embrace the term lean as, as a categorization or a label or what, what, what are your thoughts and how do you define your work? Yeah, I, I do embrace – the word lean. Um, however, the word lean in the uh, 2000 to about 2005 have meant something very different to the marketplace than what it does today. And maybe we can pick up on that theme later. Um, what I saw lean as then was just um, a different approach to the way that you, you completely design, build, and operate the organization. In effect, you design back in the employee, in the employee ingenuity. The employee mm -hmm. takes a very different status in the business, as does the customer. Right. And with the sense of respond approach, it's really about um, deeply understanding the customer needs to a level what I call uh, understanding the customer's purpose. And then looking at how the whole organization then responds to that end to end and not look at any of the functions and then look at um, how some of the infrastructure that um, allows employees to deliver, continually deliver value to the customer, how they operate, such as the reward and recognition system, the, the measurement systems, the design of the jobs, even the alignment of the, um, the different uh, value-creating activities, are they in the right sequence? So when I talk about lean, I talk about lean at that organizational level. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, lean has, has been relegated in the minds of some people, uh, particularly um, clients and customers, that it's it's a process re-engineering type activity and a couple of tools can just deliver um cost savings mm. and it's, it's, it's got a reputation for being just focused on waste and I've always maintained that 
waste is a byproduct of not focusing on your customer. So right. let's focus on the customer first. Okay, and the waste can take care of itself if we really know what uh, matters to our customers and we have the systems and processes, job design to do that, uh, we make better decisions. Um, employees are much more inventive and innovative and the whole organization is much more engaging for customers and they're just great places to work. They feel right. very different. Well, and, and that's a far different approach. Um than uh, you know a, a tool-driven approach that's not changing the mental models or the mindsets or the culture of the organization. Um, yeah, I, my term we we have different acronyms for that, but I think we agree it's the same idea. I call it lame. You know, lean is misguidedly executed. You call it lino, lean yep. lean in name only, right? Yeah, I I, I call it lean in name only um, simply because. Um, in in the UK at least there was um, a floor covering called lino linoleum <laughs> and uh, it shortened to lino and basically I use that metaphor to say you know you, you get the people say it's hard to change the mindset but I'll, I'll teach you some tools and we roll out all these tools so you imagine we are rolling out these tools like rolling out mm -hmm. linoleum right across your business it just covers up all the cracks well i was gonna say yeah if you've got rotting floorboards and a bad Absolutely. foundation yeah a thin layer of linoleum won't uh yeah won't so help I, yeah. I, I prefer that because it's a much stronger metaphor well and it, it's it's sad how i think so many organizations lose sight you know what they they what they think lean is fits with their existing models of the role of employees of oh they're just a cost and so we're going to eliminate mm -hmm. waste and our employees are waste and we're going to eliminate them as opposed yeah. to i love the way you 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 talk about not only engaging employee ingenuity which to me that that's lean and, and i think to a lot of other people that have really studied this and then you know also focusing on the needs of the employee i mean i think that's a really important part to be able to deliver customer value right Yes, absolutely. Um, we need to design in customers. We need to design in employees because traditional mass production designs tend to design those out. Um, and I, I, I classify it as a difference between a mass production organization is an on-demand, sorry, an on-command organization. Mm -hmm. It's commanding from the top where a lean organization is an on-demand and the demand comes from the customer and has to be interpreted by all your employees, all your customer-facing employees, whether they're salespeople, call center people, help desk people, anybody, uh, managers, account representatives. That interface has to be really understood in depth. Um, I think lean... Um, it's really good at understanding what happens inside the organization because that comes from manufacturing. Um, but when you're into services and continually creating different types of value for the customer, you have to get out into the outside world, into something what um, Womack and Jones call as the consumption cycle. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so the biggest benefit for lean in services is actually understanding what's happening outside your organization and optimizing that rather than just your internal production systems, which right. we know a great deal how to do. 
Well, and I think, you know, there's there's great parallels to um, the lean startup movement when they talk about, you know, get out of the office, you know, go and understand how your customers operate day to day and make sure that you understand the day in the life of the customer and the problems they're solving. Don't just go develop cool technology. And I really do uh, appreciate the work uh, that has been going on with the lean startup movement uh, because it, it demonstrates how you can be much more adaptive and nimble and deeply understand your customers and continually change and improve your product and services. Now, that is fine for a startup because you do not have a whole infrastructure and a whole organization mm-hmm. that you have to start changing some of the um, the job roles and the processes, etc., to, to be able to do that. Uh, what, what my work has been doing is to try and get large organizations to be able to do what lean startups can do. And that's, that's really the intention of Sense and Respond, that we can do that at an organizational level. And throughout the book, Sense and Respond, it's, it's aimed at the executives, the business leaders, to really think about there's a different way to design, build, and operate on a different set of principles that we can be adaptive. We can have the benefits of the startup, ingenuity, creativity, and we can have it at scale as long as we think differently. And and tell us a little bit more, tell the readers a little bit more about your book, Sense and Respond, and, and what some of the core ideas are. Um, a lot of the core ideas really are it's, – it's, let me just start with a very simple root map. I think the, the root map that we are talking about here is, is the first thing that we have to do is to start deeply understanding our customers. Now, there are lots of um, methods out there that, such as the voice of the customer, which comes from Six Sigma. They give the illusion that you understand customers, Okay. But we, mm-hmm. we really do not understand their world and the use to which they're putting your products and services to what purpose. Right. And that's why I call Sense and Respond is the journey to customer purposes. How does the, how can we move the organization to deeply understand what the customers are trying to do in their world? What problems are we really trying to solve? And they are continually moving particularly in today's environment. So the organization has to lock onto those changing needs and to be able to respond properly to that. And to do that, having deeply understood and quantifying what value means in customer terms, and I can talk about that in a minute, how we do that, Mm -hmm. we then say, well, if this is a value, how does the whole organization end-to-end respond to that? Can we measure it? Um, And are we doing that effectively? And what tends to happen is once you start understanding what is of value to the customer, then you start looking at your internal activity and you find that most of your activity is not creating value for the customer. Right. It's um, it's added work and it's also lots of repeat work. And I think the fact of about 90% of organizational activity does not today create value for the customer is a shocking number. And I can back that up with research and data, but that is a shocking number. Okay. You know, what if I could reduce that? Um, I could free up staff to then deliver new types of services rather than just trying to optimize lots of the services that we have today 
and lots of those services are just making up for failures in the organizations or failures mm -hmm. in the environment for the customer. And it's really about changing that mindset about what value is. And to do that, understanding what value is, that first step, I use the core profile and I go into great depth in the book about this. And basically what I'm saying there is the word core is an acronym that looks at all demand that comes from customers. And it, it classifies the demand into its value content. C stands for we are creating value for the customer. This is for things that aren't wrong. Uh, it could be I want to go on a holiday, I'd like to buy a computer. The list is endless, but there's nothing wrong. There's, a, there's, there's not a negative trigger to come into your organization. For that, that type of demand, you need to have good processes. You need to optimize that. The O is for opportunity, but I'll come to that in a minute. The R is for remedial or restoring value. This is where the organization itself has done something wrong and caused a problem for the customer. And the customer's coming back and said, look, you broke it, you fix it. So that's all that remedial stuff. The E is for external. This is remedial as well, but you and your organization didn't create this. Your customer might have bought a product from um, somewhere else, but he's bringing it to you to help get fixed. Mm. And so therefore, this is an external failure to your organization. You can possibly make money on, on that. A lot of technical help desks that support Microsoft products, for instance, uh, are set up just to do that. Mm. Okay. They can, they can charge a premium for the failure, fixing the failures of another organization. The O is for opportunity, and this is one that missed a lot in organizations. And this is where the customer is asking for things you currently do not provide. So, for instance, the customer might say, do you do A, B, and C? And the salesperson or the help desk person or whoever would say, I'm terribly sorry, we only do X, Y, and Z. And then tries to get the person off the phone because mm. he's going to miss his target. <laughs> Yet the customer saying, do you do A, B, and C? This is a golden opportunity to find out what the customer really wants. Right. And systematically taking time to capture that and saying, well, the customer wants A, B, and C. And then at the end of the month, going to everybody and say, well, what did the customer ask you that we currently don't provide? And maybe we might have enough information to say, hey, there's a new product here that we can supply. We are actually going to design it against demand. Okay, so this starts driving product innovation against known demand, and there are opportunities there. That opportunity demand is vitally important for the employees, and I'll tell you why. Because lean often focuses on that R, that remedial mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. My bill is wrong. Right. The engineer didn't turn up. That is quite obvious, a lot of that. Okay, And you don't need lean sometimes to improve that. But if you're saying you are using lean, you'll get people to improve processes. You might reduce those um, at wherever is being created in the organizations, and you can reduce that. But then the message is to the staff is they suddenly get frightened. They say, well, if I remove this work, what job do I do? Okay, I've, I've spent the last 20 years doing fix-it stuff. You know, I'm, I've been metaphorically fixing the tires that come in here and now um, the company's going to fix the road there'll be no more tires to fix um, so what's my job 
And that's where you say to the employee, you know all that opportunity stuff that we've been looking at? We can start moving you to deliver what customers really want. So the total demand can look the same as in volume, but the nature of the demand has dramatically changed from the remedial stuff on to optimizing what the customer wants, but also building new products and services of which for which you can choose a premium, uh, charge a premium. But the E stuff is really interesting. If your organization is totally dependent on generating revenue on the failure of other organizations, it sounds like you're adding value, but it's a remedial activity. Right. What happens if the software that is now developed and deployed doesn't have those problems, mm -hmm. but your whole model is designed on there being problems? So your revenue is completely uh, eliminated. So understanding this core profile, how much value you create for customers, what's the opportunity for new value, what are you really creating problems for your customers and you're picking it up again, and what are the problems you're picking up on behalf of your customers, which is created elsewhere. So this helps with the strategy for the organization where it needs to be paying attention. But it, it also starts looking at this be suddenly becomes a health check. So the core profile is something you can compare in health service, you can compare it in IT, you can compare it in manufacturing in, in terms of uh, what products you're delivering. So suddenly what the core profile does, it gives a universal health check. Well, and, and part of what I hear you saying is that the only sustainable long-term business model is something where there's actually value being created to customers. Um, constantly. And what, yeah. the, what the, the core profile will drive is uh, a conversation in organizations about what type of work we should be focusing on mm -hmm. and how we create new value. Basically, what we are trying to do is to increase the learning clock rate in an organization. Um, so that we can innovate new products and new services which are needed in today's business. It's what I say, the core competency today is adaptability. Mm -hmm. Everything is changing. I'll even go so far as to say uh, even the notion of continuous improvement is actually outmoded here. Now, I know some people will take exception to that, mm -hmm. but just go with me for a second. Sure. Things are changing so fast that you're implementing new technologies. There's new value change being being made and created all the time, different relationships. There isn't time to improve things once they're implemented because it's changing again. So the core competency is adaptability and being able to do continuous change as a core competency. And I think um, continuous change and managing continuous change, Lean has a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think there's something to be said for, even though we might not design it perfectly, there's something to be said for uh, putting the time into system design to try to design it as right as you can, as opposed to saying, oh, well, we'll just Kaizen that later. Is that is that kind of paraphrasing what you're saying? It's sort of, but I will yeah. go further than that. And I'm saying um, the modern workforce is not like the workforce 20 years ago. Okay, It's very educated. They do not want to sit in organizations and be command and control. They want to be part of the decision-making process. Right. They want to be involved and they're a lot more educated. And they can take on some of these higher level concepts of saying, okay, 
we have to change some of our products or services, our reward recognition systems, and they can actually develop that and then educate the HR people, the, um, the finance people, and say, this is what we are trying to do. Now, can we use your skills to generate this type of value? And their job is to create a clear line of sight between customer value, their own job, and the jobs of HR, finance, procurement, whoever it is. And I have a saying is every single job has to have a clear line of sight to customer value. And I'll give you an example where that doesn't work. In, in HR, HR will often do lots of really good things. And when you ask them, well, how does this create value for customers? They'll say, well, it sort of works out somehow. That is not good enough today. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. It probably does work out somehow, but we need to have that clear line of sight. What is it that you're doing in HR that really does create value for customers? If you, if you can't say that, you are out of the value stream. You are designed out. You have to get yourself designed in again. Now, as um, we have a couple of minutes and as, as a way of wrapping up, let, let's talk about your involvement in the upcoming Lean Kanban North America conference. Uh, it's basically the week of April 29th, um, 2013 here. Um, you're doing a keynote talk. You're doing a workshop. Um, tell, tell the listeners a little bit more about that. Yes, um, I'm doing a tutorial before the uh, event on basically how to design and create adaptive lean IT and service organizations, not just IT. But looking at what are the principles that we need to adopt um, at the top level in terms of governance systems, the measurement systems, the leadership behaviors, and really some of the hooks you need to build in so that when you engage on your transformation agenda, you're actually starting to create the infrastructure in which lean can survive. And I think it's really important that we do that because a lot of organizations embark on a lean program, starting with lean tools um, within a department. You might get some cross-functional cooperation, but it usually sticks at that level. It hits that glass ceiling called the infrastructure of the organization, and I include HR, reward recognition, and governance systems. And people spend a lot of time at that level trying to break through. What I've managed to do in recent years is to start the other way around, starting with the customer and what we're trying to do with employees, but trying to design the organization to get out of the way of the employees and the customers and the creating value process. So I am attacking the glass ceiling first, and I think that's different in, in the approach within um, within Sense Respond. And the, the tutorial is really about how do you capture the imagination of the executives? How do you show them the money and the waste that is involved in their current thinking and what the value could be if we just change that thinking? Because nothing talks like the money. Um, and I want to take the principles and turn those into things that executives can understand. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the first day. Um, the keynote speech is really going to be about some research about adaptiveness. And one of the things that people have said about Lean, it's all about the thinking. Um, we have to change the thinking. And I then looked for the research about the change in thinking a number of years ago, and I couldn't find any. So I worked with a number of um, universities, such as the London School of Economics and Warwick University and Aston Business School. 
and Cranfield Business School to try and understand what we mean by changing the thinking. And we actually started to uncover some of the psychological profile changes that are needed mm. to create this adaptive organization, to create this employee involvement, to create a different type of management engagement. And we can now measure this. And so we can measure for the very first time what a lean organization actually looks like. And we can quantify that. And the, the beauty of that is it gives us a better understanding of where we need to intervene in the organization to really get um, sustained lean change. Mm -hmm. and change that leads to long-term profitability. So that's really what my keynote is going to be about. I have a, um, another talk that I'll be giving, which is about um, Deming. I think you and I know a lot about the work of Deming, but I think there's a whole generation of management that have passed that by. Mm -hmm. And I really want to bring to the attention of new managers that didn't grow up in maybe the early lean movement or the early quality movement right. that are in a completely different world to the likes of you and I growing up, mm -hmm. let's be honest. It's changing rapidly. So you've got globalization, you've got new technologies, you've got higher customer expectations, you've got worker expectations that are off the scale, and you've got social media. Now, what does Deming have to say to that? Mm -hmm. Because that those sorts of issues weren't around when Deming was talking Right. about his business uh, and his principles. And I found that Deming's book, Out of the Crisis, um, needs a lot of study. It, it is not intuitive. And he positioned a lot of his work into this catch-all phrase called the system of profound knowledge, mm -hmm. which actually says nothing. Hmm. Um, since then, what we've got is better understanding of systems dynamics, of systems... Um, such as the uh, the Peter Seng work and lots of other work. Mm -hmm. We've got better understanding of workplace psychologies. We've got better understanding today and research of the governance systems. We've got better understanding of the leadership requirements, better understanding of organizational design and the operating models. Now, a lot of that, that information was not around in any great depth and research when Deming was talking about what he was talking mm -hmm. about. So it came under this catch-all of the system of profound knowledge. You would get a system of profound knowledge if you did a lot of study and work. But today, there's a lot of good explanation of what we mean by a system of profound knowledge. Right. And I really want to bring out those for the next generation so that we don't go back and, in, and use the industrial model for the organizations today. Because the problem we got is the modern organization on the industrial model does not meet the needs of the modern customer. Hmm. And that's what I've been talking about, is how do we apply the, the deep principles into this highly complex environment? And it has a lot to say about that, as does Lean. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you there in Chicago at the conference. Uh, if, if people would like to find links to the event and, and to uh, Stephen's work and book, go to leanblog.org slash 170. That's the uh, show notes page um, for this episode. We, uh, Stephen, hopefully we can do, um, let's do another podcast talking maybe more detail about Dr. Deming's lessons and, and how that's mm. relevant today. I've done a couple of uh, podcasts recently with uh, some people who work directly with Dr. Deming and it's something I'm certainly you know, continuously studying and uh, would, would be happy to explore. 
more with you. So, um, Stephen Perry, thanks so much for being a guest here today on the podcast. Great. Thank you. It's been delightful. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.